Hello to all my 101 History podcast listeners. Um, hard to believe tomorrow is Friday. Uh, just seemed like yesterday it was Monday, even though, of course, it was Wednesday yesterday. But, you know, weeks move by uh, pretty quick. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but they do move by quick the older we get. But that's just what it is. Um, I'm back on the air tonight and for another uh, segment of Through the Perilous Fight by Steve Vogel. And as we all know, it's more than just Through the Perilous Fight. It's the burning of Washington to the Star-Spangled Banner, the six weeks that saved the nation. We started uh, last night talking about uh, Bladensburg, uh, Maryland. And what I've come to realize now, and I'm glad that I um, am correcting this now because um, I had thought when I had first read this book a few months back that the battles for Bladensburg and Washington were two separate battles. Well, it turns out that while, yes, they may have been two separate battles in terms of location, they were actually combined into one battle because they were both fought on the same day. Uh, do you think it was probably planned to be that way? Not likely, but it just so happened that way. So, the battle for Washington actually begins in Bladensburg, Maryland, but ends up in uh, Washington. Could it have been prevented? Very likely, and we're going to find out why. So basically, tonight's podcast is going to talk about um, the debacle at Bladensburg, but we're also going to find out that there was uh, one man who... um, laid everything on the line until the very end when the inevitable happened to him. True or false question, was the bridge which connected Bladensburg, Maryland to Washington still standing on August the 24th of 1814? The answer is true. Why is that important to know? Well, Brigadier General Tobias Stansbury prior to August 24th, had ordered a cavalry party to destroy the bridge because by destroying this bridge, it would have prevented British forces from gaining easy access, not just to the bridge, but by making further advancements um, down the road and launching surprise attacks on us. Well... Brigadier General Stansbury is very surprised, or should I say stunned, as to why the cavalry did not do their part to destroy this bridge. Have historians come up with any kind of theory or explanation behind this? Well, historians have, although it's not a true theory, it's just one of those um, perhaps half-truth Um, conclusions. Historians believe that there was probably a delay and that um, that the reason for why the bridge itself was not destroyed was because someone high up wanted to make sure that an Annapolis regiment had enough time to cross the bridge. Now that's totally understandable but the failure to relay information on the bridge being destroyed was simply overlooked. It was uh, ignored. 
So because this bridge did not get destroyed, it gave the British all the more time to make their necessary advancements and be able to penetrate further, not only into Bladensburg, but to push militia units farther out to where they would end up going back towards Washington. You want to keep the fighting as far from Washington as you can, but the further you retreat back, <coughs> pardon me, and make your way back into Washington, the greater the vulnerabilities lie. Well, did the American forces open the open fire first on British forces once they arrived, once the British themselves arrived at the foot of the bridge? Yes. And the results were good. That is right away. Many British soldiers started falling left and right. So it's safe to say that those British soldiers that were falling left and right actually were more in the um, thick of the middle. In other words, they were they were dead center on. Those who uh, did not um, fall victim to heavy fire were smart enough by going, uh, or should I say, by making their way behind buildings or even hiding behind trees. This way they could regroup and uh, be able to come up with a surprise strategy that would um, keep us uh, guessing and more than likely um, make our uh, firings become more inaccurate. You know, it's so easy to think warfare is just flat terrain soil and everybody, one side's on the other and the other side's on the opposite side firing volleys left and right. But not every battle is like that. It wasn't the case in Bladensburg. Was Commodore Joshua Barney at Bladensburg? Yes. Joshua Barney is probably by far the smartest of all the um, military men on the American side. He's not a micromanager. In case those of you who don't know what a micromanager is, a micromanager is one who tries to do everything on his own, being in this case in the military here, a micromanager is also one who tends to be a control freak. That's not how Joshua Barney was. Joshua Barney was probably by far the most organized of all generals, or com well, of, of anybody in the American military at this time. He's seen enough action over the years. I mean, my gosh, his military record in terms of career goes all the way back to the American Revolution. He has seen how war it, warfare itself needs to be conducted, not just fighting a battle, but how you go about strategizing. So, he's got um, some pretty good ammunition on him. He places the heaviest artillery, being two 18-pound cannons in the road, and three 12-pounders to the right along the turnpike that uh, connects, that um, links Bladensburg and Washington, D.C. together. So, to make things interesting, the cat, Madison's cabinet, including Madison himself and others, most notably that um, infamous Secretary of War, John Armstrong, are out in the field watching all the fighting going on. And while the American forces have opened the first uh, round of fire, 
And, you know, so Madison is seeing from a distance British soldiers falling left and right. He's pretty convinced that um, we're getting the upper hand and that we might end up with a victory before it's all said and done with. But what does Secretary of War John Armstrong introduce President Madison to that's going to be used on the British side? Congrave Rockets. Now, when I read this book, I had reading it and learning about Congrave Rockets, I did not even know about these rockets until reading this book. What are Congrave Rockets? They are rockets that are, um, believe it or not, uh, portable. That is, that you can uh, carry them. You don't have to push them in the same way that you would do standard artillery. So these Congrave rockets, you know, only one person, it's, it requires only one person to carry them. They're almost like the rockets you think of in today's time that sadly terrorists use to uh, launch into the air to um, strike down an airplane. That's the kind of rockets they are. Matter of fact, the Congrave rockets are named in honor of Sir William Congrave, who is the son of a British officer. These rockets are similar to that of sky rockets. They can be launched from a tripod, but were deemed inaccurate. Okay, well, if they're deemed inaccurate, then why are they even being used to begin with? Their main function is to add an extra element of fear. These Congreve Rockets are so dangerous that they can fly up to about 200 miles an hour. They can change direction in mid-flight. So just because you launch it in the air, it doesn't mean it's going to go in one direction. It's not like a dart. You know, when you throw a dart into the dartboard, it usually goes one direction. Uh, these Congrave rockets, once they're launched in the air, they're on their own. And, you know, just when you think it's going straight at any moment, it, the wind could shift the rocket to the left or to the right. And whatever its destination is, it's going to be bound to inflict harm on the opposition. And the American forces truly saw these rockets as weapons of terror. So it's safe to say that the Congrave rockets were like a form of, um, or should I say, they were the 19th century version of a weapon of mass destruction. Despite early success on the American side, for every British man who was shot, British troops somehow were still able to fill the gaps and, keep and, and managed to keep pressing forward. They established formations on both the left and right side known as flanks, forming lines. So in other, in other words, the British figured out their mistakes early on. What do we not need to be doing? Don't put everybody in the middle, because that's where all the American artillery is. That's why they were able to mow down British soldiers right away. By getting people as far to the left and as far to the right, where is that artillery going to go? It's going to go to the center, and it's not going to um, have any um, meaningful results. Is this going to be a problem, especially when it comes to running out of ammunition? Is it going to change the American game plan uh, strategies? Absolutely. And it's not going to change it for the better. 
the presence of the Congrave rockets shot into the air caused widespread panic among militias and regulars. To make matters worse, the first two American lines collapsed. And what was worse was due to many men retreating in the wrong direction. It's one thing to retreat, but if you retreat in the wrong direction, how are you going to get people uh, realigned? How are you going to get them to regain any uh, conscious or consciousness and wanting to um, regroup and um, fight? And it doesn't help that the Brigadier General William Winder, who's in charge of all this, he fails to set up a rally point. All he could do is tell people to retreat. Retreat where to? Oh, just retreat to the highest point to where you, you know you're going to feel safe. So Joshua Barney, or should I say Commodore Joshua Barney, is part of this third and final American line of defense that is located at the Washington Turnpike. And as I said earlier, he is the most skilled commander on the American side, not just leading up to this battle, but on this particular day. He uses everything there is to his advantage. He used both 18-pound cannons, which did result in, de in a deadly crossfire for British forces. Entire companies were mowed down. What's Brigadier General William Winder doing? Well, he's in retreat. He's not, well, I should say in retreat mode. He even went as far as to leaving 300 untested regulars from the 36th and 38th U.S. Infantry Regiments behind. This, and by doing so, this was not only a detriment to Commodore Joshua Barney, but had William Winder used the 36th and the 38th U.S. Infantry Regiments, this could have been a major asset for a counterattack assault that could have um, wreaked further havoc on the British. I think it's safe to say that Joshua Barney, and I'll probably say this again as I wrap up this podcast tonight, I'm not there yet, but I think it's safe to say that Joshua Barney is like George Washington. He is laying everything on the line, and he's going to stay at his post until he knows that he has done everything there is possible to ensure uh, safety, not just for his men, but for his country. Even though he knows now that he is um, stuck between a bad rock and a hard place, he's sticking his neck out for everybody who is with him, and even for those who have wimped out like Gen Brigadier General William Winder. Well, is William Winder responsible for why the Americans lost at Bladensburg? In my opinion, yes. He, he never gave his fighting forces a chance to stand up, even when the first two regiments collapsed. He never had a backup plan. He didn't even bother to uh, have the cavalry destroy the bridge. He just assumed that by co concentrating all the forces in the middle that the British would have been smart enough to have fallen for their bait, to fall for the bait of his units. But what he didn't realize was that, okay, if you've mowed down a handful of British regulars, 
they're going to find eventually find a way to regroup and do something different. After all, the British Army is one of the best trained armies in the world. And they have shown that, not just in the Napoleonic Wars, but they're showing it again here. So if we haven't learned anything by now, then we are truly up a creek. Is Joshua Barney's regiment the third line left to fend for themselves? Yes. The retreat of the first two regiments caused Barney's forces not to have any protection from the right or, or on the left uh, flank sides. And to make matters worse, the flight of Colonel William Bell's militia force, this flight, that is the unnecessary departure, becomes the straw that breaks the camel's back. It gives British Major General Robert Ross all the power to launch an all-out assault on Barney's gun crews. And sadly, Joshua Barney, I should say Commander Commodore Joshua Barney, is shot by the British via musket ball, and the musket ball is slammed into his thigh. I wouldn't say so much ouch, but what a painful way to go down. Author Steve Vogel did... Uh, he, he's done it. I mean, he, this book is very well written, but he did an outstanding job with Joshua Barney. Commodore Barney was tended to by sailing master Jesse Huffington, who was on the British side. Barney was finally um, captured by the British. He really was seen as the prize that the British wanted. But here is an um, ironic twist of fate. Major General Robert Ross and Rear Admiral George Coburn approach him. You would have thought that maybe the two of them would have um, wanted Barney to have been punished in every way there was possible for causing them and their men so much pain and, and trauma up and down the uh, Chesapeake Bay. It turns out that both of these men treated Joshua Barney with proper respect and dignity. Both men went as far as praising Barney for laying everything on the line to protect his men. Coburn and Ross each admitted that Barney himself had given British forces the only major fighting on the American side on this day, August 24th of 1814. Well, how long does Joshua Barney stay prisoner of war? He doesn't even really stay as a prisoner of war. They were so, Rear Admiral Coburn and Major General Robert um, Ross were so impressed by his valor, by, and valor meaning courage, they had so much admiration for this man that they were, um, grant, they were going to grant him parole, which they did. They gave him two choices. The first being to go back to Washington. Joshua Barney denied or turned down the request of going to, back to Washington. How come? He didn't want to see firsthand what the British were going to, 
to do in terms of doing the inevitable, and that was to capture Washington. Barney himself knew it was a matter of time before Washington was going to be captured. It's a shame that perhaps it's a shame that Joshua Barney could not have been president, or let alone Secretary of War, because uh, had he been, say, Secretary of War or let alone President of the United States, he wouldn't have allowed any of this to have happened. He would not have allowed for Washington, D.C. to have become a sitting duck. I also know that James Monroe, being the Secretary of State, had he been Secretary of War, he would not have allowed this to have happened either. So you can tell automatically right away that Joshua Barney's anger lies with President Madison and Secretary of State John Armstrong. So where will Joshua Barney go as a result of being paroled? He is asked to go to Bladensburg. Well, it may seem odd that he is going to Bladensburg, but that's where he wants to go. And who escorts him there? The British do. British um, officers below Rear Admiral Coburn and Major General Robert Ross are the ones who escort him to back to Bladensburg, Maryland. But the British uh, forces are not so kind to the other American prisoners. They basically give these Amer other prisoners a third-degree lecture. They basically say something like this, that, hey, you see that man, Commander, Commodore Joshua Barney? He laid everything out on the line for you people. Whether you're with him or not, he stuck his neck out for you all. He's a true fighter. He's not a coward or a wimp. He's not going to run behind enemy lines and sit around like a sitting duck. This man's got balls. This man's got what it takes um, to be a true leader. As a matter of fact, right as Barney was being um, escorted by the British on en route to Bladensburg, one um, prisoner of war on the American side did break down and reached out to him and started crying to where even the British had to um, hold back their tears. They realized that, hey, because of what this man had done, he was almost like the equivalent of a British uh, officer. So I think it's fair to say this. It's one thing to be a prisoner of war. But those who fought gallantly were treated better than those who weren't. If you fought gallantly, if you laid everything on the line, you had a better shot at getting parole. If you didn't fight gallantly, if you didn't um, have what it took to be a true gentleman or a true courageous warrior, then you were going to die um, pretty quickly or you were just going to rot in jail a lot longer. So uh, Joshua Barney, um, it's a miracle he survives, but God was looking after him. Even through this um, unpopular war, Joshua Barney is spared, not just by God, but he is spared by the British. 
Well, in our next podcast session, uh, we're going to uh, we're going to now be making our way into um, the darkest hour of our nation's um, history at this point in time, and that is going to be the actual soon-to-be burning of Washington. It's not something that I, on one hand, would look forward to talking about, but the sad part is this was a reality that happened, a very, very dangerous reality. And after having read this book, and I will mention it in, in, an up, in hopefully in the next uh, podcast session, that the burning of Washington was like the equivalent of a 9-11, or in some ways like Pearl Harbor. It is uh, going to become, by 19th century standards, a day that will live in infamy. But to make matters worse, President Madison is, I've said it earlier, he's going to be in for a rude awakening. But we're going to learn about how Dolly Madison, his wife, handles the situation from her perspective in terms of evacuating the capital. That onto itself was a very um, untrying um, period of time. And you know, I I can tell you this much too. Uh, Many people have been led to believe for years that Dolly Madison herself uh, was the one that saved George Washington's uh, portrait the, the portrait that we know of him that's on the back of the $1 bill. I can tell you this much right now that um, after having read this book, I learned some things that um, I probably should have known beforehand, but after having read this book, it made me truly realize who, in fact, really did uh, save the portrait. Dolly Madison herself did have a part in it, but there are other people who have finally gotten credit that has been long overdue. So um, thank you again for listening tonight. And I, I do want to say this other thing, one other thing too. I know that I have uh, probably gotten um, divulged into a lot of details about this um, book in terms of uh, each episode I've gone into. And while we have uh, gotten into the uh, core aspect or segments of this uh, book, it is important to learn as much detail as possible because battles just don't happen overnight. Conflicts don't brew overnight. They happen over time, and it leads, it starts out, they start out as uh, small events and then work their way up into larger events to where, if gone unchecked, All it will take over time is one major event that will um, basically become the straw that breaks the camel's back. But I do believe that being detail-oriented does keep the audience riveted. It keeps the audience in tune. It keeps the audience um, wanting to thirst for more information. So that's really what my job is to do for you all, the audience. It's not so much just to tell you the facts it's to actually tell you what is going on on the battlefield. It's to tell you all where the blunders are, but at the same time where there are people who, who can still take a stand even though the odds are not in their favor. And, and, and in the end, when this is all said and done with, we're going to still find out that our country is going to um, become a stronger nation 
we're going to find out that there are from the ashes heroes rising in all directions. Well, that's all for tonight. Thank you for listening and stay safe.